The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Tis the season as investors brace for a string of earnings reports from the likes of J&J, Netflix, and many more. Hear the names that Kate Faddis has on her radar ahead of the tape. And gamification, a scathing new report from Wall Street's top regulator targeting Robinhood and his competitors for what they're doing to the retail investing landscape. And breaking news from Alibaba as it looks to take the global chip shortage into its own hands. And Facebook going on a PR offensive as it braces for an onslaught of accusations and investigations stemming from a treasure trove of leaked internal documents and from L.A. with love. Our own Brian Sullivan sits down with the U.S. CEO of BNP Paribas at the Milken Institute Global Conference with his take on returning to work, the global energy crunch, and U.S. equities in 2021 and beyond. It is Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan while he's out there in Hollywood. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their day after the S&P and the Nasdaq. They both closed at record all time highs right now. Stock futures, they're up marginally. All these indexes up just about a quarter of a percent in the pre-market. Dow looking like it could open up more than 50 points higher at the open. Now taking a look at the bond market, the closely watched bond market, the yield on the 10 year this morning. Below that really crucial 1.6% mark right now at 1.8, excuse me, 1.584. We're going to keep watching that. And crude, it's still hovering above $80 a barrel. Another closely watched metric right here for the economy. Right now, we're seeing Brent crude at $84 a barrel, up more than a half a percent right now. WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark, up a percent right now. And Bitcoin, who's not talking about Bitcoin? Still above that crucial $60,000 mark this morning. Taking a look right now, we see Bitcoin up a percent and a half at 62000 Also taking a look right now, you see down here Litecoin up 3% this morning. Something to watch. Now taking a look around the world, a mostly higher session across Asia. That's saw Hong Kong stock surge more than 1%. Europe, just getting its trading day started and already a very busy morning. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's in our London newsroom with the early movers. Juliana, good morning. A lot going on. You're, you have green on, a lot of green on the board, too. Or actually, is that red? Green good morning, Frank. Well, there's a bit of a mixed, bit of a mixed board behind me, Frank. We've got some green, some red. Increasingly, we are seeing markets turn green, though, over the last hour or so. But I would say overall, a fairly muted start to the trading session. A number of corporate earnings coming into focus in Europe today. We are coming off of a down day yesterday. The stock 600, the main benchmark, pulled back about half a percent yesterday, breaking a three-day win streak. But this morning, we're in a little bit of a holding pattern. So as you can see, we're really teetering 
around the flat line. But let me get to some of the key corporate earnings, because I think today is really all about these um, company stories. So Danon, let's kick off there. Danon has reiterated its full year guidance, saying it will return to growth in the second half of the year, profitable growth. Hopefully we can uh, show you a chart of Danon, and that comes despite cost pressures. Ericsson, meanwhile, has posted third quarter operating earnings of 8.8 billion Swedish crowns, beating analysts' forecasts and coming in modestly higher than last year. However, the company warned of supply chain disruptions. Uh, Danon shares trading 1.9% lower. Hopefully we'll get you a check on Ericsson. Uh, Minor BHP has meanwhile left its guidance unchanged despite reporting a 5% drop in iron ore output due to a crunch in the labor market. So, uh, Frank, just a few of the names in focus today and a big week ahead. So a lot for investors here in Europe to look forward to. All right, Juliana, we appreciate it. Thanks for the very latest from Europe. Now to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Alibaba is developing its own in-house computer processor that will be used to power servers in its data centers. The chip is based off designs made popular by UK's based ARM and will not be available for commercial use outside of Alibaba. Alibaba is the largest cloud computing provider in China by market share and the third largest globally, according to Gardner. The FDA is reportedly getting set to greenlight mix-and-match COVID-19 booster shots. According to reports, the regulator will allow people to receive boosters that are different from their first COVID vaccine and will not recommend one over another. The announcement could come as soon as this week, along with the approval of boosters from Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. And Invesco says it will not pursue its application to launch an ETF that tracks Bitcoin futures despite a lack of objection from the SEC. The ETF was widely expected to begin trading tomorrow. However, ProShares, another fund provider, is ready to list the first U.S.-traded Bitcoin ETF. Those shares begin trading later today. All right, let's get back to the markets and earnings season well underway. 72 S&P 500 companies and eight Dow components reporting this week. Huge week for earnings season. Today alone, we get numbers from Netflix, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Travelers, United Airlines, and others So let's start there with Netflix results out after the close today. And it is no secret. Subscriber growth will be a key metric. And with the viral hit Squid Game hitting the platform just two weeks before the end of the quarter, Netflix may not be reaping those rewards just yet. Investors also watching its push into gaming. Joining me now, Grace Capital founder and CEO Kate Faddis. Kate, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Thank you for having me. All right, we're going to kick it off. Your take on Netflix ahead of the tape. Well, uh, Frank, Netflix in the second quarter reported an increase in revenue of 20% and strong operating margins. However, North America actually declined. All the growth came from Latin America and Asia Pacific. They have also announced an expansion into gaming with the release of three mobile games in Europe. When they report today, I'm going to be looking to see what's going on in Latin America and Asia Pacific. I do want to hear about what's going on with the Squid Game. Also interested to hear more about the gaming strategy. Honestly, I'm a little skeptical about it, that they can compete in gaming. But hey, you never know. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I think a lot of people are skeptical about that, that push into gaming. I spoke to Wedbush. They were actually saying, you know, Netflix is a content company. It's not a technology company. Um, one thing I just want to hit on really quick. Netflix often kind of seen as like, you know, the little brother, a little sister of the Fang stocks, but actually outperforming Amazon and Apple year to date. Um, do you see Netflix continuing to push higher on this report? 
it's it's questionable, Frank, honestly, because Netflix has struggled in the U.S. There's a lot of competition. Remember, it's competition for eyeballs. And now it's not just TV. It's not just Hulu. It's gaming. There's a lot going on. Also, the markets are opening up. There's the reopening. People are going out, traveling, doing more things. So I think Netflix may have a tough time. All right, we got to switch gears over to supply chain, Kate. Um, Kansas City Southern and Canadian National both reporting. What are you expecting from these reports, and how important will the numbers be versus the commentary? I think the numbers are going to be huge. Remember, uh, uh, Canadian is buying Kansas City, uh, paying a big price. They even paid a $700 million breakup fee. In the second quarter, revenues increased at KSU by 37% with 31% volume, which tells me there's price involved. When they report today, I'm going to be looking at guidance, pent up demand for vehicles, appliances, raw materials. How will that help them in K2? Also, for KSU, two thirds of demand for Mexico is, is Mexican fuel is imported. So that's a big mover for them. What's going to be going on there? Canadian National, they have their own issues in Canada, positive. They had some metallurgical coal closures. So are the coal plants going to reopen? What's that going to do to their demand? All right, last one, Kate. I'm going to give you your own pick, Dealer's Choice. You gave us a bunch of stock picks. What other stock are you very excited about for this earnings season? This earnings season, I am very excited about Shoe Carnival. I love <laughs> shoes, and, and I love this company. It's a shoe retailer. Their market cap is just shy of a billion, and they sell affordable shoes. Management has skin in the game. The founder still owns a third of the stock. What I love about this company, they understand their local market. They adapt to fit the market. The Chicago store may feature more urban wear and music. The Miami store, more party shoes. It's fun. It's a fun shopping experience. Good thing about this company, they pivoted during COVID. They've got a great online strategy. This is a long-term buy. This is a high-quality company. Kate Faddis with the outside-the-box pick. I don't know if they have my size there, Kate. I got a size 14. I don't know if they carry it at a shoe carnival. Kate Faddis, great stuff as always. Appreciate you being here. When we come back on Worldwide Exchange, a first on CNBC interview with one VC fund looking to fuel biotech investments overseas. Plus, the road ahead for live events. We speak with the CEO of ticket resale marketplace Vivid Seats as it prepares to make its public market debut on the NASDAQ. And later, big promises from Tim Cook and company as it revamps its premium MacBook Pro. But can it, can it overcome supply chains and deliver by the key holiday season? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
Well, the pandemic hasn't managed to dampen the spirits of venture capital and private equity firms seeking out and funding new investments, especially in the healthcare sector. Europe continues to provide opportunity. And one VC firm that's leading the way is Sofinova Partners, which announced today the closing of a new $548 million fund dedicated to early stage life sciences companies. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is Antoine Papernick, managing partner at Sofinova. Bonjour, Antoine. Bonjour, Frank. Very nice to see you again. Always good to see you. I told you, that's all the French I know. So we're going to have to do the rest of this in English. Um, first and foremost, congratulations on the closing of your fund, $548 billion. Um, a billion dollars raised over the last 12 months, a record for your fund. Tell us about what kind of companies you look into investment, invest in with this new funding. Well, thank you, Frank, for giving me the opportunity again. It's uh, great to announce today, indeed, our, our early stage fund. We talked about our latest stage fund about six months ago. But there's uh, so much interest in finding cures simply to new uh, pathologies. And, and COVID has, has increased everyone's interest. But there's so many things that are not treated, cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, you know, orphan diseases. So the list, unfortunately, is long and we are uh, you know, trying to find the next entrepreneur to develop new drugs against those. Well, it sounds like there's increased interest, as you mentioned, in life sciences, finding cures for diseases. But there's also a lot of other issues here in the world. Obviously, there's the desire to uh, connect people remotely. There's a desire to cure COVID. Um, can you tell me how much of this, in your mind, is seen as almost ESG investing or even impact investing, this interest in, in investing in your fund and, and companies that you invest in? Great question. I mean, how much more impact can you be if you save people's lives? So I think, uh, of course, we are very um, clear that ESG is, is central to investment policies. And healthcare investing, of course, has to be clearly an impact investing that will make uh, a big uh, difference to people's lives. So, yes, we, we see this as a, a great uh, way to create uh, impact on the world. So I know you're a European fund, but you've said that North America is a key focus. Why put such a focus on North America when you're a fund based in Europe? Well, first of all, we invest in the U.S., uh, but one third of our monies will go to the U.S. But the U.S. is central uh, in the biotech ecosystem. And, and from um, the science that is developed there to, of course, the public markets. And, you know, NASDAQ has been huge in boosting this sector. So, from our perspective, you need to have a global view. If you find a cure for cancer in Italy or in Denmark or in Austria, then you need to have a global view that, of course, includes the first market for healthcare in the world, which is the U.S. So, again, you, you kind of see this as impact investing in the healthcare space. Um, where does this fund fit in to your overall strategy and all the funds that you are, you're basically managing right now? What's the, the best goal, I would say, of this one? What's the ultimate objective of this one? And how does it compare to the other funds that you have? So this fund is number 10 in, in um, that uh, capital strategy. That means that we've been going on for a long time with this. And that will look for the really early stage. Companies seed an early stage. We have today 2.5 billion euros under management. And we invest throughout the, um, the life science ecosystem. So very, very early stage, like capital fund, to the very late stage, even public investing. So really, this fund tries with a team that is specialized in doing that to locate the next beyond tech, the next Moderna, the next entrepreneurs that have the platforms that ultimately will lead to new uh, therapies. 
All right, Antoine, I'm Papernick from Sophie Nova Partners. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Still Frank. on deck here on Worldwide Bye-bye. Exchange, fresh from the Milken Institute Global Conference out in L.A., the U.S. CEO of BNP Paribas on the global energy crisis, ESG investing, and much, much more with Brian Sullivan. Stay with us. Today's big number, $586 million. That's how much Americans have lost due to scams linked to the pandemic since the beginning of 2020, according to the Federal Trade Commission. The average victim lost $392. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. The 24th Annual Milken Institute Global Conference is underway out in L.A., and our own Brian Sullivan is there on the ground. He caught up with the BNP Paribas U.S. CEO, Johnny Fillion, a global bank with a major presence on the West Coast with the Bank of the West, asking him about the challenges in getting employees back to the office. We expect all bankers to be on the road, to see clients, uh, staff to be together, because nothing replaces the uh, in-person uh, uh, interaction. As it relates to return to office, we target 40% back on premises uh, in, in, our, you know, in 2021. We expect this to be more like in the 60% range in 2022, but still under a rotational uh, model. Is that because of COVID or just because of the, the new way you can do business? Uh, I think this is a new way we can do business. You know, you and I have been uh, interacting a lot over the last two years digitally. I think it was fantastic because we've been able to connect, to exchange, to share views. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, how, how do you convey companies' values without being in person together? How do you train the new analysts we've hired yeah. uh, who've never seen their bosses physically if you don't get back to the office, get back on the floor? However, I believe that you have to convince employees to come back. You have to make the office a nicer place, a more connected place then, you know, there is something yeah. in terms of value proposition to accept to commute, to accept to, uh, you know, be in an office and to leave your community. Most of us have been home and have been there, and uh, we see the benefit of that. It is. It's a tough balance, and I, I, I don't envy CEOs like yourself having to make some of these decisions. Uh, from a uh, business perspective, you're here on your panel. It's on ESG, something you and I have spoken about many times. Right now, Europe, as you know, is undergoing a bit of an energy crunch. Uh, Sky-high gas prices, coal prices, some issues with power availability in the U.K. Do you see that slowing down any of the ESG trade sustainability bonds that have been so hot for you? Well, first, on the ESG side, uh, Brian, it's, it's a train has left the station. I mean, it's driven by investors. It's driven by uh, issuers as well. Uh, and that's, that's really the main, the main trend to have in mind. Just, you like statistics, mm. you know. Uh, by, by, by this year, uh, we will have seen cumulative ESG issuance for bonds and loans exceeding $3 trillion. Uh, on the equity side, 
by 2020, we had 35 trillion asset under management with an EHC label. And you have, you have a good connection with Europe. In Europe in 2021, 50%, half of the revolving credit facilities underwritten had a sustainability component. As it relates to the, what you mentioned about England, listen, we've seen bumps, you know, including here on the ASD journey. Uh, same thing, I think the trend is there. Uh, the COP26 taking place a few weeks away in Scotland will reinforce the trend. And, you know, if you look at uh, higher energy prices or the more recently climate-driven events, I think it's just going to push the world towards uh, further towards uh, renewables. Okay. And, and from a market perspective, because you guys are, you're investing, you're growing in people. You, you hired away Deutsche Bank's pretty much entire prime brokerage business. You, you've expanded in places like San Francisco. Do you have a macro equity market view, Johnny? I don't think I've ever asked you that. Because <laughs> no, you're so I, up here, I, but I by the way, I'm glad you've, you've never asked me this. But uh, uh, jokes aside, not so much a macro view, but I, what, I, what I see... Uh, you know, I see a shift in, 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 in momentum, you know, for, uh, after the last six weeks of defensiveness in the markets. We see a better tone uh, driven by, uh, you know, uh, the Q3 earnings kicked off and mm-hmm. pretty positive, including for the banking industry. Uh, we definitely see uh, some good U.S. economic data that support the, or should incentivize the Fed to taper, which the markets want. And um, uh, in the meantime, we've, uh, we've seen this yield curve, you know, uh, that has been a bit uh, on the higher side for, you know, the 10 and the 30, stabilizing, which I think is all good for equities and capital markets for the next few weeks. And our thank you to Brian Sullivan, BNP Paribas, U.S. CEO Johnny Fillion. And now it's time to check our other top headlines this morning. Outside the business world, we want to thank NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Hey, what's up, Philip? Hey, how's it going? Good morning, Frank. Well, South Korea has confirmed that North Korea fired a submarine-launched ballistic missile off its east coast today. The launch came after U.S. and South Korean envoys met in Washington to discuss the nuclear standoff with North Korea. South Korea successfully tested a similar weapon last month. And the Supreme Court has agreed to consider fast-tracking the appeal of Texas's controversial abortion ban. Women's rights advocates requested that the high court hear the case before final judgment in lower courts. If justices agree, it could deliver a ruling much faster than usual. President Trump is suing the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, as well as the National Archives. His lawyers are fighting to block the handover of documents wanted by the committees as part of its investigation into the Capitol riot. The lawsuit claims executive privilege should shield the documents. Washington State University's head football coach Nick Rolovich has been fired after the school says he refused to comply with the state's COVID vaccine mandate. He was the highest paid public employee in the state of Washington with a salary of $3.1 million. And the NHL has suspended Evander Kane of the San Jose Sharks for 21 games for having a fake vaccination card. Kane apologized for his actions and says that he made a mistake, one he sincerely regrets. Frank, those are the headlines from here. Back to you. All right, Philomena, live in New York. We appreciate it. Straight ahead, Facebook going on a PR offensive as it braces for a new wave of allegations and investigations stemming from a treasure trove of leaked internal documents. Plus, Kathy Wood taking issue with the SEC's scathing report on stock market gamification. Those comments ahead. 
And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Investors gearing up for another busy day of earnings season and insights on relief from supply chain and inflation issues. Futures, they're in the green. A big day for crypto as Bitcoin breaks ground with the first ETF tied to its futures officially beginning to trade today. And Apple pulling back the curtain on its latest lineup of products, doubling down on its big bet on its own chips. It is Tuesday, October 19th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin in for Big Papa Brian Sullivan while he's out there in Hollywood. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern hour, 5 a.m. hour on the East Coast. Having a hard time saying that. It's still early. It is still early for the futures as well, but you see they're green all across the board, all of them up marginally. Pretty muted start, but you can see here the Dow looks poised to pop about 75 points at the open if this continues to hold. Now to this morning's top corporate stories. Wall Street's top regulator is accusing online brokerages of gamifying stock trading in a bid to encourage activity from retail traders. These accusations by the SEC coming as part of its highly anticipated report on the Reddit trading mania that hit the markets earlier this year. The SEC is not laying blame on a single cause or firm. Speaking at the Milken Institute Global Conference, ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, taking the other side, stressing that she's not worried about the gamification of stock market trading. I know a lot of people are concerned about the gamification uh, that the Robin Hoods of the world represent, uh, but I'm not worried at all about that. I think what happened during the, after the tech and telecom bust and the 08-09 meltdown, the fear and risk aversion that, uh, that permeated the markets uh, took the joy out of the yes. markets and took the creativity and the imagination. Now it's coming back, and I really think it's starting with the millennials. They are excited. And SEC, SEC Chair Gary Gensler is going to have more on the agency's report later this morning on Squawk on the Street. Facebook is criticizing news outlets for reporting on leaked documents about the company ahead of what's expected to be a series of articles based on those documents. Facebook's vice president of communications sending out a series of tweets yesterday slamming journalists without naming any outlets specifically for working on articles based on thousands of leaked documents agreed to under an embargo. It is not clear what information the latest documents will reveal. And contract talks between Deere and its 10,000 striking workers have resumed. According to reports, the company and the United Auto Workers Union have confirmed the renewed discussions. Deere's workers began the strike on Thursday after rejecting a proposed contract that would have delivered 5 to 6 percent raises to workers. Turning our attention now to Bitcoin as the first ETF tracking the crypto's futures from ProShares will make its trading debut later on today. Meantime, Invesco announcing it's dropping its efforts to launch its own Bitcoin futures ETF. All this comes with Bitcoin back above 60,000. Right now it's 62,000 for the first time in six months as it once again pushes towards its all-time highs. For now, I'm joined by Ian Bellina, founder and CEO of Token Metrics, which handles crypto research, data, and ratings. Ian, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So, Ian, we're seeing a lot of talk about these Bitcoin futures ETFs, not pure play Bitcoin ETFs. How much of that has contributed to the price action for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? Bitcoin up about 30% over the last month. There's been lots of speculation, especially amongst smart money, regarding the Bitcoin ETF, which was 
what I think was definitely new regarding this last month of speculation, because in the past, it's typically been retail that has been speculating. And once you see smart money begin to speculate that there's a likelihood of an ETF happening, then you start to pay attention. And I think that's what happened here. We're going to have one of those Bitcoin ETFs hit the market off futures ETFs. Let me make sure I correct that. What kind of impact do you see this ETF having on the broader crypto market? This is a big step for crypto. The SEC now has basically endorsed crypto, although not ideal. Uh, Ideally, we would like to have a Bitcoin spot ETF. But this is a great starting point for anybody who wants to get exposure to crypto assets like Bitcoin without having to, to go through and actually hold Bitcoin. You know, you said not ideal. That's an important distinction right there. We've heard our Bob Pisani say that a lot of traders don't think it's ideal. Even our Mackenzie Sagalos, uh, I spoke to her about this a bit. She said a lot of people in the Bitcoin community say it's not ideal. Why is it not ideal? Because you have to, because it's not it's not ideal because you have to go through and pay extra fees, right? And this ETF, I believe, holds up to only eighty five percent Bitcoin. So it's not really a fully Bitcoin ETF. Right? And, yeah, and you also have to deal with the Patango as well. So for the newbie, they're basically getting killed in fees, and they're b- better off holding an actual spot ETF. But right now, that does not exist. So right now, this, this is the best we can do. So one thing I think a lot of people don't realize that you're trying to highlight is that you can be both long and short on Bitcoin. What does that mean for the crypto market? Yeah, so everybody is getting excited about this ETF. But if you can be long and short, that means... Anybody that's negative on Bitcoin that thinks this ETF could go down could actually short it, right? Uh, if we go back to 2017, same thing happened, right, with uh, Bitcoin back then. Uh, once you get smart money involved, once you get more institutional investors involved and Wall Street involved, anybody who wants to take the opposite side of the trade could do that. So this does not necessarily mean we're all going to the moon and beyond in crypto or Bitcoin. So you said this side thing means that the market. I'm sorry if I cut you off there. Um, you did say it's a big step for Bitcoin. Um, one of the things that this will allow people to do is invest in Bitcoin without actually having to take custody of it. Um, a lot of issues with holding the actual Bitcoin. Um, do you think that will increase adoption or increase at least corporate adoption? Yes, absolutely. Because most people, especially retail investors, like to invest through 401ks, through mutual funds. And now we're basically giving Bitcoin wider exposure globally. Right. So. Any, any exposure for Bitcoin is good exposure, in my opinion. All right, there we go. I don't think you're the only person with that opinion. Ian Bellina, CEO of Token Metrics. We appreciate you being here. Have a good day. All Thank right, you. turning our attention now to Apple. Officially unveiling a new line of products, including refreshes on its MacBook Pro, AirPods, and HomePod Mini at its hardware event. The tech giant making more steps to move away from Intel, putting its proprietary M1 Pro chip inside those laptops. For more on key takeaways from the event and if Apple's supply chain can handle that pent-up consumer demand, let's bring in Alex Kantrowitz, founder of Big Technology and a CNBC contributor. Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, that's the question. Does Apple's supply chain, does it have what it takes to keep up with demand? I'm asking you. Well, look, it's a great moment to have your own chip, right? Because it just takes one of the different variables out of the equation. So from that standpoint, I would say that's really good. Um, the people who are trying to order these laptops off the Apple site, if they got the stock model, looked pretty good. It was going to ship you know, almost instantly. But once you started customizing it, there were some sites that reported uh, that they might end up coming not in November, uh, but late December. And that's obviously an issue for Apple. It's uh, tough to imagine. Lots of folks are like, let me you know, buy this computer and cross my fingers and hope that it shows up by Christmas time. 
So um, Apple is going to get hit like everybody else due to this uh, chip shortage and the supply chain issues. Uh, but it's in good position because it owns its own chip, it makes its own its own chip. And, you know, Apple is a beast. The scale is enormous and it's an, it's a, a supply chain expert. Uh, that's one of its core competencies. So I do think that'll be able to be better positioned to survive this than many other companies. So, Alex, you're saying they're supply chain experts. They're also experts at branding and creating branded differentiated products. One thing about this MacBook, it's pretty expensive, pretty much $2,000. Um, what do you think that's going to mm-hmm. mean for consumer demand and also expectations for this MacBook? Yeah, I think we go through our normal cycle with Apple, which is that most people look at the price right now. It's starting at $1,999 and they're like, nope, no way I can afford that. Um, same thing happens with the iPhone every year. People say, how dare they charge that much? <laughs> then we get over the sticker shock and we ended up paying Apple. I mean, I was speaking to people yesterday who were like gaming out how much their machine was going to cost. And people had their computers running into the $5,000 range for a laptop. I mean, that's amazing. But I'll tell you one thing they didn't tell me. They didn't say, I'm actually going to go with another computer. They're all going Mac. It's a matter of if, uh, of when, not if. And so Apple has this magical ability, like you mentioned, to brand and to um, raise the price as much as it possibly can. And it doesn't really seem to get any blowback in terms of lack of sales. So I say uh, it's probably going to happen again this time. The company <laughs> just has that magic touch. One more question about the MacBook. We're going to move on to some of the other announcements. Um, you mentioned that it looks great. How important is the look to, to the sales of this? Obviously, one of the things about having an Apple product is like, you know, you can hold it. It has three cameras, whether you're taking great pictures or not. People like to just show that they have the latest Apple product, like you mentioned. Yeah, this laptop is going to be a pure status symbol. Uh, you know, I was thinking, are you going to be able to walk into a coffee shop in Brooklyn and Portland with the old MacBook, you know, after this thing comes <laughs> out? And I think it's a question mark. Uh, people are going to want to, you know, display it proudly. They're going to look different, right? Not 13 inch, but 14 inch. So and, and the notch on top. So people will definitely be able to see when you're out in public, which model you have. Uh, and so I do think that it's going to be something that serious professionals just show up with. And that's going to help Apple as well. All right. One thing uh, we want to also hit on is the home devices and the AirPods. Those AirPods will be in stores well before Black Friday. How do you see demand playing out for those AirPods? And I got to be honest, I kind of remember the Bluetooths back in the day. They were kind of corny to run around with. And now people love running around with their AirPods in their ears, at least recently. Do you see that trend continuing? Oh, yeah. The AirPods are another status symbol. They happen to work great. Uh, The price is going up on those as well. So Apple's really testing us here uh, by having the prices go up across the board. Um, but it is interesting to see Apple at the beginning of the event talk about the AirPods, the HomePod, Apple Music. I mean, these are all products that are competitive with other uh, tech giants. Look at Amazon. They have all of those. And so I think it's not going to be as easy on that front as Apple might want. All right, Alex Kantrowitz, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. Coming up, a first on CNBC interview as the CEO of ticket marketplace Vivid Seats discusses his company's decision to go public amid an improving outlook for concerts and sporting events. But first, as we head to break, Wall Street's IPO pipeline just got a bit more crowded. The company behind the popular kids show, Coco Melon, is reportedly looking to either sell itself or to go public. According to Wall Street Journal, Moonbug Entertainment is seeking a valuation of at least $3 billion if it goes the sales route and potentially more with an IPO. A competitor to Amazon's cloud storage has filed to go public. Backblaze revealing it will list its shares on the NASDAQ under the ticker BLZE. And Rent the Runway is seeking a valuation of up to $1.5 billion with its upcoming trading debut 
The company is aiming to sell more than $17 million, between $18 and $21 a piece, with its IPO next week. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Vivid Seats, a marketplace for concerts, sports, and theater tickets. Going public today through a SPAC deal, Vivid is merging with blank check company Horizon Acquisition, which is led by one of the owners of the L.A. Dodgers and the WNBA's L.A. Sparks. It will list on the NASDAQ under the ticker SEAT. For more on the deal and the state of the live event industry, we're joined by Vivid Seats CEO Stan Chia, who will be ringing the opening bell at the NASDAQ this morning. Stan, congrats on the company listing or going public today, or actually trading today under your new ticker, and also on ringing the bell. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Frank. Yeah, certainly an exciting day in our in our history and really proud of the team and, and all of their accomplishments thus far. Yeah, I'm sure. So just really quick, I was looking at some other stocks that I kind of look at as a proxy for demand for the live events and sporting business. WWE, Live Nation, both of their shares outperforming the S&P over the last months or excuse me, last month. What are you expecting today for your for your shares? Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's an exciting day, I think, as we as we hit the public markets, we, we remain really focused on the long term. You know, I think we're we're going to look at what happens today, clearly. But I think, you know, our focus has always been on delivering lots of value to our customers, both on the fan side and the seller side. So right now, with all that's going on in the world, I mean, obviously, a lot of us are trying to get back into the office in some cases or just get back to normal. But also, we've seen some breakthrough. I can't talk for a second, Stan. Sorry about that. Breakthrough early. cases in COVID-19. It is early. Um, how much of that is a concern for your business? How do you see that impacting demand to attend live events and attend theaters? Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, safety of the fan, safety of everybody, I think, is, is always front and center when you think about live events, especially in these times. Um, as we've looked at um, what's happened, you know, I think we're seeing venues, we're seeing um, teams, you know, I think become more stringent with access, right? I think as you look at Broadway reopening, um, certainly now, you know, vaccination being required to attend events. Um, I, I think we're, we're starting to see that along on our side as we look at it. Um, you know, we've always had fantastic customer service. We've got 100 percent buyer guarantee. Uh, so, you know, we really stand by, I think, what we sell and make sure that consumers feel safe and protected when they transact on, on our marketplace. All right. So uh, DraftKings actually investing in your company. What kind of opportunities do you see that opening up? Yeah, I think we're, 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 inside, we're excited about the partnership and certainly their, their investment as well. Um, you know, we've got one of the industry's only loyalty programs that rewards every single fan. And, you know, when we launched our new version of the loyalty program, Vivid Seats Rewards, in July of this year, we actually announced it with a new DraftKings perk, um, where as you earn with us, you can also earn free DraftKings dollars. I think, you know, we look at the uh, live event goer, we look at the um, potential sports better and the sports event goer, we think there's a lot of overlap and real value for them. And we're excited to work with DraftKings to further the partnership and see what that might bring. So overall, um for me, at least, I, I do go to the gym. Um, you know, I go different places, but I'm, I'm a little bit more careful. As people continue, continue to reconsider where they're going and how they're going, you mentioned sometimes vaccination cards are required. How do you adjust your business? Is it uh, tech advancement? Is it simply just putting up more regulations as far as vaccinations and showing proof of things like that? What's the next step for the events business? Yeah, look, I, I think, again, you know, I think making sure that um, – all of the protocol is there to ensure a safe environment, which I think the venues have done a tremendous job of. Um, and then when you look at, I think, the places that you transact, looking for a safe and secure marketplace, which we're certainly that. This is actually our 20th anniversary as well. Um, when we look at safety behind that, you know, I think we are a marketplace that really stands behind our customer service, our buyer guarantees. And that ultimately, I think, is what consumers are going to be looking for as they look to get back uh, to live events. 
You're the official ticketing partner of a lot of big brands, including ESPN, Rolling Stone, the L.A. Clippers and NBA team. Um, where does ticketing go next? I mean, where, what's the next leg of it? Yeah, you know, I, I think look, we're, we're really at an interesting um, time, right? I think we've, we've talked about, you know, a lot of pent up demand coming back, um, people coming to that. So, you know, for us, we, we've tried to innovate along the dimensions of really providing value to consumers. And, and I go back to, you know, our rewards program, was, which was already fantastic and unique prior um, um, to really the pandemic setting in. We took that opportunity to think about how we could continue to, to deliver incremental value to our consumers. And now our loyalty program is really one that delivers, you know, 10% on every single ticket that a fan buys. We've got DraftKings rewards. We've also got surprise and delight programs with upgrades and access to unique events. So I think as folks look at ticketing and looking at live events, you know, they're really going to look for things that add to the experience beyond just the transaction. And I feel really good about what our team has built to deliver value to consumers. Well, Stan Chia, good luck later today. I'm looking forward to going to my first concert since the pandemic started. Maybe I'll buy it on Vivid. Thanks a lot for being here. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, a big trading day taking shape with earnings at the top of investors' radars. RBC's Capital's Amy Wu Silverman lays out what you need to watch. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of the morning's big money movers. Alibaba is developing its own in-house computer processor that will be used to power servers in its data centers. The chip is based off designs made popular by UK-based ARM and will not be available for commercial use outside of Alibaba. Alibaba is the largest cloud computing provider in China by market share and third largest globally. That's according to Gartner. Next, Spotify plans to hire hundreds of new employees to boost the music streaming services ad sales in Europe and elsewhere. Spotify is trying to increase its ad revenue to capitalize on the large number of users who don't pay the service a monthly fee. And Dow components Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, and Travelers are out with quarterly earnings this morning. Just some of the big names as earnings season shifts back into high gear this week. And back to the markets as investors gear up for that busy day of high-profile reports. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Amy Wu Silverman, head of derivative strategy for RBC Capital Markets. Amy, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. All right. Well, we have Netflix, Tesla, United and many more reporting this week. Where are you seeing the hot option action ahead of those reports? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because usually what we do is we look to the implied moves on earnings ahead of these reports. And what I would tell you is typically around this time, because it's an important earnings season, we see a lot of movers beat. That hasn't happened recently for the financials, but I think probably as we head into mega cap tech, that will happen more given the focus on it and given how much tech has really driven the value versus growth trade. Let's talk about the financial sector for a minute. Where are you seeing moves in the financial sector and the action there? Yeah, so for the names that have reported, all of them in terms of what they were implied have actually not beaten the magnitude of that move on earnings. But that said, you know, one thing that I think has been interesting in financials is short term, the option sentiment has been fairly bullish, but longer term, so we're talking tenors, three months to 12 months has actually been fairly bearish. So you're actually seeing a rise uh, in puts in terms of that demand of puts relative to calls, which you're not seeing in the one month space. So again, that sentiment is actually starting to shift more bearish in the financial sector versus what we've been seeing recently. Let's talk really quick about the Bitcoin ETF. Um, I know that you're in the, the thought that there's a lot more room for that ETF to run once it starts trading. Why is that? 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting is about a month ago, we hosted the head of risk strategies at Coinbase, uh, basically to have a discussion about how options and equities are going to be impacted by Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And, you know, one thing that Gustavo Miguel said to us is, look, equity market participants have a really hard time understanding how things can't be priced into the market because this is something about a market that's so efficient. But really, if you know the equity markets were B students, then the Bitcoin market would be absentee students. That's actually how <laughs> you put it. So, so you know, they're not there. And, and because of that, you know, despite the fact that the headlines have really been out there, it's kind of an institutional base that knows about it. And really, that upside is still there because of the heavy retail base that's participating in the inefficiency of the markets, which obviously ends up, uh, you know, impacting like a Tesla or a MicroStrategy or other companies that are actually physically holding the coins as well. Yeah, MicroStrategy and Tesla, obviously, well, not obviously, but seemingly rallying off of uh, Bitcoin's price surge in recent weeks. So I want to just continue your metaphor about those uh, crypto holders being absentee students with this ETF. Sounds like they're going to slot into those seats in the back of the classroom. What does that mean to have them in the back of the classroom? What does that mean for the broader equity market? Well, I think two things. The first is, and again, you know, this, this was part of our conversation with Coinbase, which was, you know, one interesting takeaway I had from that call was when this becomes more accessible, so this becomes something that, you know, people can, you know, potentially access just directly through a brokerage account or maybe one day through an IRA or 401k, you know, it really changes the game in terms of who is going to be part of it. Um, and I think that expansion is something that's going to be quite interesting for it. And the second part of it is obviously if you have companies like a Tesla, for instance, where they're, I, I guess I shouldn't be saying physically, but when they're, you know, holding the cryptocurrency itself, obviously that's that's going to start making a correlated impact to those stocks, which is why I think you're seeing their rallying. Um, but what, what I think is interesting is the options have been diverging in a lot of these names. So you're not quite seeing that reflected yet in the derivatives market, even though we're starting to see that in the equity market. One thing we want to touch on is uh, Chinese stock and investing in China. What action are you seeing on the options market? Are you seeing any sentiments changing about it with the whole Evergrande situation turning off a lot of investors? Yeah, you know, look, if you hadn't asked me that a month ago, I would have said that uh, most clients, unless they're specialists or even if they are specialists, have called it untouchable, uninvestable. You know, like, how do you really have a unique view when it's about sweeping policy changes? I would say that sentiment is really starting to shift. Uh, we see that in the relative equity volatility implied pairs that we track. So they went from kind of 99th percentile, the most bearish sentiment you could possibly have on China. This is using FXI as a proxy to now really coming down. So people, you know, in one way or another are saying this might be the bottom in Asia and they're starting to be more comfortable selling puts in these names, owning upside, uh, what have you in China and Chinese related stocks. All right, Amy, we're going to give you the last word. One thing to look out for in today's trading day, what would it be? Uh, you know, I think continued headlines on on the cryptocurrencies, I think, is something to watch. And then obviously, I think tomorrow we'll have Tesla earnings, which should be interesting. All right. Amy Wu Silverman from RBC Capital Markets. By the way, your parents moved to Hawaii. Congratulations. I read your note. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for us here on Worldwide They're Exchange. <laughs> Squawk Box coming up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package list and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 